about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he turned to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. 
Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, have not yet seen, and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, friends. Great to be with you. Happy Easter. It's great to be in a building with balloons falling from the ceiling at various times and in various ways. I feel like I have as much time to speak as that balloon does to get to the ground this evening. But it's been so much better. Easter today, singing in church with other people is a much more joyous and a much more fitting way to kind of celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. This was last year in the Sydney Morning Herald. We had a little photo of our setup, uh, speaking to a camera with everyone locked in their houses. It is so much better to be out and singing the praises of our God again at Easter. But a year has passed between Easters, and perhaps things are going quite well in our country, but we maybe aren't quite the same still. We aren't as steady and as sure as we were perhaps before all these things unfolded. We're now more aware of little things that can be our end, very quickly, very suddenly for many of us. Life feels a little bit more fragile, kind of like that empty Easter egg that you had earlier today. Easily cracked, easily broken. We're not sure whether we can trust our climate anymore. It's just deluged our country and flooded so many houses and places, uh, reminding us of the scorched earth that was burned but so little time ago. Not only do we feel fragile, but we're not sure whether we can trust the earth on which we now live. And then there's all these centers of power that just end up being places of manipulation and exploitation. Who are we supposed to trust? Where are we supposed to stand? What will steady us and anchor us in the midst of a life that feels all these things at the moment? You know, right now, I feel that what we really need is something to believe in. That might not be the word that you would choose. Belief might not be a word in your vocabulary in normal life, but it it really is that word we use for the thing we use to steady us, place our confidence in, to anchor our very self. I was reminded of this idea that we all anchor ourselves on something when I was watching this documentary, This Is It, Michael Jackson. Fantastic little documentary. Uh, And when, when Michael's new show, this is about... 12 years ago now, was announced across the world. Dancers across the whole planet quit their jobs, bought a plane ticket to LA to audition before Michael to get in this show. This was kind of the biggest moment of so many of their careers. And the documentary opens by introducing you to five or six of these dancers. And and one by one, they, they cut to on the camera and they just gush about what it's like to dance for Michael and with Michael. And they're all really striking and interesting and joyful. Uh, But the last one always really captures me. He's a little less sure of himself. He's a little more anxious looking. He's got his arms crossed, rubbing his arms, not even looking at the camera a lot. And he says, life's hard, you know. And I've been looking for something to shake me up. And this is it. 
a beautiful moment of a, a young man with all kinds of things going wrong, finding a steadying anchor, finding something to believe in at last. But we know as the credits start to roll that he's never going to get on the stage with Michael at all. Michael's going to die but before the show even gets to launch. The thing that he finds to steady and anchor his very self will be taken by death and will prove to be nothing. And friends, I think, I think all of us have a this. All of us have things or something that we look to to steady us, to anchor us, to place our confidence in. There are things we believe in in the difficult nature of life. And I think Easter provides us with the thing to place our confidence in when we feel fragile and our world is out of control and we're not sure who to trust. That's what John says right at the end of this account of the resurrection. Summing up his entire gospel, but particularly makes sense that after the resurrection account, these are written that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John thinks that if you read the resurrection account, there is enough in there in it to lay all your confidence in Jesus. And so I just want to take you through four things this evening from this beautiful passage, four reasons to believe and put your confidence in the resurrection today. And the first one is this, the very simple and ordinary fact that there was just an orderly, empty tomb. That's where John's account starts. He says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled from the entrance. We'll come back to Mary. So she went running and got Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Mary goes early to the tomb to mourn, to grieve, and finds that the stone has been displaced and thinks that the, the tomb's been robbed. That's her. That's what she thinks. They, this nameless they, have taken the body of Jesus. And so these two other disciples hear of this and run to go look. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And you're thinking, I don't care. I don't care about the running race or who got there first. This is odd details. Um, you know, these are the kind of details you don't think to include in a story, except these are just two guys explaining what happened. This is the kind of detail you get from someone trying to retrace the steps of how that morning unfolded. These are the beginning of an eyewitness account. Two men in Jewish culture could create a witness statement that could be submitted into a court. And so that's what we're receiving here. So the first disciple, he bends over and looks in at the strips of linen lying there, but they, he doesn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The, the cloth was lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Do you see the extra details here? That's not just the running that's interesting here. This tomb doesn't look like it's being robbed. There are two bits of linen kind of put in different ordered places. 
And if you were robbing this tomb, you wouldn't leave them because they're filled with all the expensive fragrances that you could sell later. In fact, it'd be better to take the linen and leave the body. But most robbers would just take the body and dump it somewhere else after. So these are kind of interesting details. And these two are just saying, listen, we, we got to the tomb and it looked really orderly. It didn't look like it had been robbed. And then this beautiful statement at the end that John, as he looks onto this scene, odd as it is, it says he, he saw and he believed. I think, what? There's nothing in this scene to believe in. And yet everything in this scene is the basis of the Easter miracle. The resurrection of Jesus is not just an ethereal abstract idea, not just a spiritual ascent from the dead, not just a thought cooked up after, but a fact baked into a historical moment. The belief that John has was based on the things that were in front of him on Easter morning. Friends, to believe in the resurrection is to believe in something that actually happened. A scene that actually was, and that looked credible, even before anything else was understood. And John, in his account, is trying to be really careful. He said, no, they didn't understand yet that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They didn't actually come to the tomb expecting anything. No grand high spiritual truth. Friends, your belief today is based on something, a real something, not just an abstract fact. And so the orderly empty tomb is the first thing we're given in this story. But really, what even is that? That's not really anything to believe in at all, is it? An empty tomb. Interesting. But not, not enough. And I'm much more interested, I think, in this scene in, in Mary. Here's a picture of her. Beautiful Mary. I think it's with great care that John says that she arrives when it is still dark. Because did you notice how in the rest of the story she just doesn't see anything? She doesn't notice the strips of linen in the tomb like the other disciples do. It says that she stood outside just weeping outside the tomb and she looks in and there are two angels in white sitting at each side of where Jesus' body should be and they ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away. To which we say, Mary, angels. Angels were there. You missed the angel bit. And then it, the story keeps going. She turns around and Jesus is there. And she doesn't recognize him. And Jesus says the same question. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. What's happening to Mary? Why can't she? She can't even see Jesus right in front of her. Mary is still lost in the horrible darkness of Good Friday. In John 19, it describes Mary with a few other women standing near Jesus' cross. She watches him asphyxiate and die. She watches him as he's mocked and bleeds and is in agony. You know, crucifying someone was a special execution meant to completely debase someone, to make it seem that they don't actually belong to the human race at all anymore. And Mary stood there watching it. And she arrives at the tomb on, on Sunday morning, and someone's taken the body away. 
And in her mind, in her head, it's like, will the horror never end? Will they never stop doing things to his body? Will they never, will they never just let him rest? She's lost in the darkness, in the grief of it. And then with one word, the light of Jesus' presence just pierces the darkness. Isn't that beautiful? Mary. Mary. He says her name. And there's so much that one name can say. Mary, you haven't lost me. Mary, it was horrible, but it was not my end. Mary, the darkness came for me, but it did not overcome me. Mary, you can never lose me. I think in the beauty of this moment and in Mary's response where she cries out, and it kind of feels like she grabs him instinctively to never let him go again sort of thing. But the resurrection of Jesus is not just this abstract idea. It's deeply personal. Here is a scene of two people who just really love each other. Meeting each other again, bodily. He says her name. She grabs his arms. You know, that resurrection is beautiful and personal. It's like that beautiful grandparent who you lost to the fog of dementia years before they went to the grave. And they could never remember your name anymore. And that beautiful day where you see them again only to hear them say your name once more. It's like that person you lost in that tragic moment when you weren't expecting it. And you never got to say goodbye. But then you unexpectedly get to say hello again. Or like the poor mothers who send their sons off to war only to never see them again, one day finding their son come back to their house. See, that's the resurrection of the dead. That's the resurrection of Jesus. It's deeply personal. Real people coming back from the dead, as Jesus does. And that's a bigger truth that Mary points, Jesus points Mary to. It seems like Mary grabs hold of him, but Jesus he, he pushes back a bit. It's interesting. He says, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, he's not brushing her off. Listen to what he says. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus says, you've got to let go of me because I'm going back to God the Father. And as I go back to God the Father, he becomes your God. And my father becomes your father because you become my brothers and my sisters. Because it's not just me being raised from the dead, but I will raise a family with me. Brothers and sisters to be personally raised as sons and daughters of the living God. Here is the beautiful picture of resurrection that overturns and overthrows every grief every personal pain, and reunites people beautifully into one family. Here is what the resurrection of Jesus achieves after his death on the cross, this beautiful undoing of grief as we see him encounter Mary. But you might have some interesting questions about that. And you probably have some very significant and pretty worthwhile doubts about such a fairy tale picture 
of the way things could end. And you're not the only person to think that. In fact, there is someone in the story who has a very reasonable doubt answered. It's poor old Thomas who gets hated on for all of church history being, for being called a, a doubter, doubting Thomas. Poor guy. He just wasn't there when Jesus showed up one day. Everyone was locked in a room together. We're not going to read it closely in 19 to 23. And Jesus just appears. He teleports in. Strange, but that's what they said happened. And Thomas isn't there with him. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Literally, I am never going to believe that. I am never on board with that. You know, Thomas has very real reasons to doubt this eyewitness testimony that is given to him by the other disciples. He's not willing to believe it. And then beautifully, Jesus decides to come again. A week later, he repeats the same scene. They're in the house again and Thomas was with them and the door was locked and Jesus teleports in again, says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's a beautiful moment of Jesus actually coming to answer someone's doubt. I was saying, well, here I am. Uh, It reminds us that actually lots of people who were listening to these resurrection stories, who were even there as it was happening, they had significant doubts about this. Did you notice how no one in this story, when they get to the tomb or they see Jesus or they hear of Jesus, believes straight away? None of them do. All of them have a journey from some sort of doubt to belief. You know, sometimes we look back on these accounts and we think ourselves smarter than them, that we would have been more skeptical, we would have asked more questions, but it's not true of Thomas. Thomas has a lot of doubts. And Jesus comes and answers them. And this reminds us that actually the appearances of Jesus don't happen once on Easter Sunday, but over a whole period of a month and more, again and again and again, people encounter Jesus, their doubts are answered again and again and again, so that we can have a sense that these things are real. As we watch Thomas's doubts be dealt with, we realize that actually we could believe this. Actually, this might be true. Actually, maybe what I read here is enough for me to trust in the account that I've been given. But did you notice also the way Thomas confessed belief right at the end there? Thomas said to him, to Jesus, my Lord and my God. He doesn't say, oh wow, you really are alive. That's interesting. Or can I see your hands now? He doesn't even, doesn't even say that he touched Jesus' hands. It's not just a cold little tick of, oh, this did happen in history. That's very fascinating. Like this cold empiricism of the the facts are proved. Tick. Fantastic. What does he say? My Lord. My God. You see, if Jesus has been raised from the dead bodily, it is not just a fact of history. It is the fact of history. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, if the scarred one who was humiliated and crucified lives again, then nothing short of the powerful hand of God has brought him back. 
And he is the Lord, not just a Lord. And he is the God, not just a God. Thomas knows what believing in a resurrected Christ really means. It means confessing him personally as Lord and King and God. And what these accounts are given for us to read is to to move from not just doubting, but to confessing his lordship. Because in the end, what these, these Easter accounts, what Easter gives us is someone to believe in. Now, when we talked about Michael Jackson, we talked about there are lots of thises that people look at. Lots of things you want to point to and say, well, this will be my confidence and this will steady me. And maybe this will make things okay. But what Easter says is there is no cause that will save you from the grave. There is not a life good enough. There is not a person strong enough. There is no idea perfect enough. There is only him. There is no this. He is it. That's what John says as he closes the gospel. Blessed are these are written that you may believe what? This idea, this great fact, this great cause. Know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Easter tells us to lay all of our courage and confidence in the one that God has raised from the dead and to lay confidence in nothing else. You know, it is a firm rebuke that Jesus gives to Thomas. Stop doubting, he says. For Jesus, it is enough for someone else to come and tell you about Jesus resurrected. It should have been enough for Thomas to hear the account of someone else. And Jesus says, you've seen me and so you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who hear the witness statements of others and believe. Because for the resurrected Lord Jesus, that is enough. He sends messengers out into the world to declare it. And friend, he thinks it's enough for you today to read this chapter, to see these accounts, and to lay all your confidence in him. Because if he is raised from the dead, then the life that he has can be given to you. And you can be raised as a son and daughter of the living God himself. Friend, what is your this? Lay your confidence in him. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.